good day, and welcome to Healing in the Afterloss. This is a show about coming to a place of peace and healing after loss. I am Deborah Brown, and it is my honor and privilege to be co-hosting the show with Benjamin Allen, my friend, a brilliant writer, a gifted speaker, and an amazing human being. And here hi, we are. With, hi there. Another episode of Healing in the Afterloss. And um, this is going to be an interesting show because I think we're going to delve into something that neither one of us have as a, oh, I don't know, one of, our, one of the things that we talk about you know, on a regular basis because it's, it's something that I came across in the AARP magazine, of all things, which I still um, absolutely find amazing. That, I ha- that I'm old enough to be receiving it is what I find amazing. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? It's like, how did this happen? <laughs> Wait a minute. But, um, but it's, a, it's a, an article about what's being called ambiguous loss. And ambiguous loss can be dis- basically summed up as any time the loved one who is lost is lost because they disappeared for some reason. It leaves the people who are grieving in an ambiguous loss situation. And there is a, uh, a, a professor at the University of Minnesota who has coined the words ambiguous loss to kind of put a label on it so that people who are feeling this will kind of have a name for it. And, and Benjamin, I know that you believe that people need a name for some of their grief, some of their feelings, right. so that right. they, they realize they're not alone. So why don't you talk about that, and then we'll delve into this ambiguous loss. Okay, first I would, I'd like to say that, that uh, what the person you're referring to is Dr. Pauline Boss, and she has a website called ambiguousloss.com. So if people are interested in looking at that um, during the show, after the show, uh, I wanted to give them a reference point for that because there, she talks about, and, and this is the first I've seen of this when you pointed this out to, to me, and I looked at her website, and there's two kinds of, of ambiguous loss that she describes. And, and uh, the one is the loss of an individual, for instance, a kidnapping or a loss of, 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 you know, through Alzheimer's or some sort of that loss of that person. And there's a, there's a psychological loss through the, the Alzheimer's and so forth and a physical loss that has yet to find closure. And I'm saying that rather awkwardly, but I do want to just say check out Pauline Boss at ambiguousloss.com to get the, the correct, uh, you know, perspective from her. And so she's written several books on that, and that describes it on that website. So I forgot now. What was the question? <laughs> well, actually, um, and I, I'm glad you went there because you did exactly what I was going to do next, which is talk about Pauline Boss's work. But what I actually asked you was, um, in your own work, in your own speaking on loss, you have said in your writings, that putting a name to your feelings is so helpful because that person then says, oh, you know, I'm not crazy, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not different, you know, there's a name for um, this, these feelings I'm having. So that's what I was actually speaking to, to, um, right. to you. Yeah, because okay. I know you write yeah, about yeah. that too. 
Yeah, absolutely. Words matter, identification and relationship to words and concepts and paradigms matter. And so if people find resonance with a particular phrase that can guide them into a deeper identification and understanding, and and like you said, a sense of not being alone in this process, then of of grief and loss, then you know that that's a wonderful gift that uh, someone can bring. Just being able to say, you know, I know what how you feel, it coming from a genuine space of that knowing, not some trite, you know, wanting to push the conversation along, but the wanting to stop and say, you know, you're not alone is it has such magnitude and such a healing force to it. So words do matter and so that that that's true. And uh, that's why I use the word after loss. For me, the world beyond loss is a different world. And just as others talk about the afterlife, I, I needed to come to a place of saying the after loss is the world I live in now. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, same thing with people in domestic violence situations, um, you know, uh, illnesses that are that are just devastating to the person and to the as soon as you have a languaging that makes you part of a community of others that have had that experience or who can help guide you through because of either they've trained in it or they understand it from a personal level it really does make it so much I don't want to say easier but at least it's a path that you feel like you can get on and not get lost <laughs> you know yeah does that makes yeah, sense I think that Sure, and I think that we as human beings in communication, words came about to bind us together in a common understanding, whether it be, I, I remember seeing something on the bound uh, that one of the first uh, parts of vocabulary came out of horses in, in Asia because people were bartering horses and they needed a common language to to deal with that, so I, I I thought that was an interesting how how language begins. But you look at how language begins and how the earliest earliest ancestors had burial rituals had had ways of of, of would have always been attempting to understand death and always attempting to try to uh, relate communally to loss. So. That, that's well, very much a part of our makeup. It is. And when you're talking about the rituals, you know, when a person has the experience of a loved one that is missing, either through um, like a kidnapping, as you said, or those other terrorism or whatever, um, there is no ritual where the burial of the body gives you that physical closure, you know, where you see the the body for the last time or you see the, the casket or whatever, there, there really is nothing like that. So I just want to kind of put this in a little bit of kind of amazing context. There are 1,600 service personnel from the Vietnam War that are still unaccounted for, 70,000 service personnel from World War II. The bodies never came back. 1,115 were never identified or accounted accounted for from
from the September 11 attacks and tens of thousands from the tsunamis that we, that we had, you know, like in 2004 and 2011. And here's another big one. 2,000 children are reported missing every day. Wow. So what this means is when you put those numbers together, you aggregate all of those, you do that math, it's a very staggering number of people who are suffering a kind of loss that is different from what you and I have talked about, what you went through, things that I have been through, and so forth. And the other thing that's interesting in this, um, in this research that Pauline Boss, Dr. Boss, and others have done is that they're saying that this, this kind of loss or this, this ambiguous loss or whatever leaps generation to generation and haunts the children and grandchildren with unresolved feelings over loved ones they never knew. So isn't that quite a staggering thing to realize? That is amazing. And and I can certainly (laughs) resonate with that, that whole thing around that the generational aspect of loss. We carry that loss and we pass that loss on. That that, uh, is is a a phenomenon that, that... you know, it, it speaks to the collective of who we are as as, as in humanity, and, uh, and and so, but that's those are amazing statistics, uh, tragic statistics, and you're right, it is a different type of, of loss and and the lack of closure. But what, you know, as I was looking at some of this, and you know, some of the thoughts that came up for me is. How do we define closure? What is closure to an individual? Uh, certainly, what you just described was the the most obvious lack of closure. You know that 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 there's not a, a body, there's not an ending, there's there's a, the uncertainty at, at certain levels, <clears throat> especially around missing children or missing missing people, not adults as well. You know that. And all of that 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 take place. It made, when I looked at this, it, it made me start thinking about, you know, what do I, what does closure mean to me? You know, what what is it that continues on? And I think for me, loss is never completely closed. And there there are elements of closure, but there are fragments of the unfinished business that goes on in grief that carries and and part of the grieving process is finding peace for me part of the part is finding peace with the lack of closure you know there's this just in my own experience i always wanted one more day one more conversation one more embrace there's always that wanting one more and you know that closure it can happen on certain levels, but on other levels, it's just something that uh, I have found I needed to find peace with the lack of closure. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, you know, um, I think about wishing that I could say some more wonderful things to my mother. Uh, my mother died. It'll be six years this January and terrible, but one of the last things that I said to her was, <laughs> it was so terrible, uh, not the last 
not the last thing, but one of the things, she had a heart attack, and I didn't realize that she was going to have a heart attack. She shouldn't have had a heart attack. I wasn't expecting it. But because um, okay. uh, she had been ill with a lot of other things, including COPD and all kinds of things. But she um, she was giving me a fit. I mean, absolutely, I was just ready to strangle her. And I said, I'm not going to let you mess up, only I used another word, I'm not going to let you mess up my my um, New Year's because I was stuck there because of the weather or something like that in Arkansas. I couldn't leave when I meant to, and I, I should have been home with my husband. And I was uh-huh. there with my mother. Now, I was always with my mother for the holiday, for Christmas, uh, for 20 years after my father died. I always was there. I was there for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. And I left so that I would be home for New Year's. Well, for some, and maybe it was because she was ill. I think that's what it was that time. She'd gotten a cold or something, and, and she just begged me not to leave. And I said, I'm not going to let you, you know, mess up my, my New Year's Eve, or my New Year's. And I don't know. It's like she, she went to sleep, and then the next time she woke up, she was sweating and just didn't feel well, and I could tell it was a different thing. And I knew it was a heart attack when I looked at her. Mm-hmm. And that was the last, I would love to have that time back. You know? Right. I, was a, I know I was a good daughter. I know I did everything that anybody would, would say, wow, you, you know, <laughs> you, really, you really went after being a good daughter, girl, I'll tell you. I get that on one level, but on another level, that closure was not there. I, I wish I had that time back, and you don't get it back. Right, and you know that so that, haunts, exactly. that haunts me. That haunts me. That yeah. makes me sick. Yeah, and that's that's exactly the type of what we're talking about here is that sense of closure on different levels. There, and there's some things that just aren't possible. And boy, I can really, I really feel for you in that that old experience and that that. The things that haunt us are are the things that I need to find peace with, and there's closure in holding that that sorrow and and grieving. I, I wish it would have been different, you know. And so, so what have you done? Have you found closure with that? Even though it haunts you, where have you come to a place with that? You know, I really have not totally found closure on that. I. You know, I can I can see my mother sitting up in her bed when we both realized that she was going to have to go in the ambulance. She begged me not to call 911. I mean, she was just really fighting me. Um, but I knew because I know about heart attacks. My father had four of them before he died. <laughs> so I know, I know a lot about heart attacks, and I knew that that's what it was. And... Um, I don't know. She looked at me and she said, before they were taking her away, um, you know, of course I followed in in a car, but the the last thing she said was, is this it? And I said, no, absolutely not. This is not it. This is, you know, not it. (laughs) And, And I just, you know, it was not a good conversation. And then, to make it worse, they didn't let me go in with her when we got into the emergency room, mm-hmm. and I never got to have another conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. So, no. No. It's not well, closure. No, yeah. there's no closure at all. Right. And, and that, 
that in and of itself, being able to share that very intimate, painful account is is in and of itself part of the healing process, Deborah. It is part of really showing up in our wounds and being able to to share with another the words that you shared. Like we, we talked about at the beginning of this, is that the common bond, that common moment. And I don't know, I, I, I know I've experienced some of what you've experienced with that lack of closure. I think everyone that's listening will ha- probably has a story like that because there is something about the human condition of, of we, we want more. I wanted more, you know, and Matt, the day before Matt died, I said, Matt, when do you, and Matt was my son was 13 years old, and he was quite weak. I said, when do you want to die? And he says, I want to die when you die. And that broke my heart. There's this bond, and there's this, and that was the, uh, one of the most difficult times of my life. And the difficult, part of the difficulty in my grieving and, and leaning into the loss, that echoed for a long time. And this is, a for you, there is a, a real echoing of something that, that took place but that has reverberations even in today when the, the emotion is still so strong. And that's where I look at closure as not an ending but finding a peace with what doesn't end, what I carry. And, and when I find people talking about closure, that's when I want to know what do you mean by it. Do you, and and because we, words do matter, as we talked about earlier. And so, you know, is there closure? Is there lack of peace? And it really sounds like that experience with your mother hasn't found that, may never find it. We don't know. And we don't know what that that means in, in a person's journey. I know that when I don't have closure, in, in a sense of uh, finding peace, then I have to hold that with my sorrow and I find that it expands my compassion and it, span, it expands my sense of spirit and of love and, and, and the tragedy. And then I can sit with another, like sitting with you in this moment, Deborah, and, and, and the feeling of what you just shared was so intimate and powerful to be able to sit with you saying, I know, I know that feeling. And and it's okay to have that feeling. It's okay to hurt. It's, it's one of the greatest gifts we can give each other. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you how I have extrapolated this out a little bit. Um, you know, we just lost Joan Rivers. And she died in a way that... I have imagined was very similar to what my mother did. You know, she wasn't expecting that to happen. You know, she was expecting, she had 15 events planned in October, you know, in, in Europe. Um, she was, she was full of life and she was, she was busy. And so I've been worried about Melissa, her daughter, mm-hmm. not being able to say goodbye the right way. That's- yeah. And what I guess I mean is my way, <laughs> you know, the way I would have wanted. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. 
you know, you, I, it does it does expand my compassion. I I worried about that. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That, and that's what uh, that that uh, it, uh, your identification with that hasn't closed you off. It's opened you to feeling the the love for another and to to understanding. And you know that's part of holding the fragments of loss. You know, loss isn't pretty. Loss is loss is messy. That's why this idea of closure means something has ended. And I don't look at loss that way. I don't see loss as beginning and ending. I see loss as a continuum of unfolding. And the unfolding is what I have to hold in this lifetime of the sorrow that I carry will always be there. The loss will always be there. It's it's how I hold it differently at different times in my journey in the unfolding. So I'm not a big fan of the, even the word closure, to tell you the truth. It, 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 it connotates that something needs to get over, and, I don't, and, and that something needs to be done and finished. And I don't think life isn't finished to our last breath. And, and love isn't finished beyond that as far as I'm concerned. And love and, and loss isn't finished for me until I find that, that ultimate embrace that is beyond this breath. And so closure is an inter- – that's why, again, I say to folks, what is closure to you? What does that mean? Uh, and because it does have this, it, it intimates that that there, that there is something that ends, and I don't look at life that way. Well, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing process. That's that is right. true. <laughs> um, and, and and you know, Deborah, I want to come back to this experience with your mother because that's such a, I really am grateful that you you're able to share that. Uh, with me and with with those that are listening, because that is so important to, as part of the healing process. And once again, my de- you know definition of healing is living with sorrow in peace. It's not sorrow ends. There's not closure to my sorrow, and I'm miss missing. But it's living in peace. And what you shared there is a monumental part of going through grief and to not say, oh, well, that was, what, six years ago, so I should be over it. Absolutely not. That, you know, it, it, it is it's beautiful to feel what you shared in such a tender way and such an open heart. And, and the hurt that came out there is, is part of the healing. And so I just wanted to honor that. I really appreciate you doing that. Well, thank you for putting it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting, and it kind of goes into what some of Dr. Boss's um, recommendations for if you have this am- uh, this ambiguous loss, um, how you can actually. Um, follow some of her guidelines for coping, but it's so funny, as I glance at it, I realize that it works for my situation also. 
Um, mm. So let me just share what they are. And, yeah, please. And we can talk about them. Yeah, so the first one is don't blame yourself. This article says life is not always fair. Bad things happen for no reason. So, uh, yeah, I, I believe me, I have blamed myself in every which way, up and down, round and round. Um, if I had, if I had realized she'd had the heart attack earlier, I mean, I could go on for about an hour on the ways that I, you know, could have done something differently. And you know what? I probably couldn't have. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, the next one is find a new you. If your role was defined by your relationship to the missing person, try to construct a new role. Well, the people that we have in our lives that we talk about, you and I, um, are not missing, but my role was defined for 20 years by my relationship to my mother. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk to my mother twice a day, 10 o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock at night generally. And mm-hmm. sometimes, if she, and she lived in Arkansas and I lived in either California or Arizona, and um, sometimes... Um, it was a it was supposed to be a quick you know check in call just like you know hi how are you doing how was your day and and off and sometimes it would turn into an hour and two hours because she wasn't feeling comfortable or safe or she was lonely or whatever so anyway for 20 years i did that so all of a sudden my mother's gone and and there's nobody to call <laughs> yeah yeah. So, and that's, uh, you, yeah, so you, you, you know that too. I mean, you know, it's like every day of Matt's life you were <laughs> trying to make sure you had all the time. Right. Uh, you know, then that, that whole thing around when, you know, in the book that I wrote that, that first part about the spreading of their ashes, and my two children and their ashes and, and dipping my hands into the water in the ocean after... I had ashes caked on my hand of one child, both child, children. And I said that that was my last act as a father. And, you know, there's that sense of now who am I? And mm-hmm. so I see what she's, what she's referring to there, the new role. But I don't know. I, I would change that for me to find a new relationship with life and with the world around me which doesn't mean that, I mean, I will always be a father. I will always, and, you know, there will always be a part of me that you, you she will always be your mother and you, you will always be her child. And so what I needed to do in my grieving process was find a new relationship with Matt and with my other son, Brian, you know, that, that, it's it's and so I don't know what she means by role, but uh, that word relationship works better for me. But I I think I understand. But I, I don't want to speak for someone that I don't know. Right. Exactly. But uh, but it is it is about finding a new relationship with life and that that void that you you described, this time that was so intense and and focused on that relationship has changed. So. What I needed to do was find, you know, like people change from going from kindergarten to grade school to junior high to high school to 
college or get married and we have children, there's always this evolution of relationships anyway. And my relationship with my children did not stop at their death. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, so what's the next one? Uh, the next one is express yourself. Being sad or angry about the loss is a normal response to an abnormal situation. Don't keep those emotions bottled up. Well, I think we're right there, aren't we? <laughs> I, I was going to shout a hallelujah, amen on that one, that's for sure. You know, the, uh, I mean, the, I get on yeah. the calls with you, and one of us loses just a little bit of our composure. Oh, my God. Absolutely, I, yeah. Oh, geez. I hope our I hope our listeners are not going, oh, here she goes again. I really don't cry that easily. I'm so amazed. <laughs> so anyway. Well, yeah. Yeah, and there there is that. And, that there, and what you offered to us in the opening of your heart of, of that, that pain and the love, and as you, we've continued this conversation, you've shared some other aspects of your relationship with your mother and the tenderness and, and the challenges, and, and that's so important, you know, to share our stories and to be open with another. Oddly enough, we're open on, on a radio show, but that's kind of, you know, but it's, uh, <laughs> it, I usually reserve that for one-on-one, but, uh, but that, that is absolutely part of the healing. That's what I was saying earlier in our conversation was what you shared is a part of so crucial to healing. We can't keep it inside. It, our sorrow does not only live inside of us, but it lives all around us. And that's what you were just describing earlier in that the, the insight about that generational carrying of loss, you know, that, that we, we carry it and we transmit it whether we do it consciously or unconsciously. It, it is a transmission. And so the most important thing is to bring it to consciousness to bring it to communication, to bring it to another, because that's where the healing uh, can really take place in this plane of existence. You know, there's an internal journey and there's an external journey, and to align those two with authenticity and the, and the realness of the hurt and to bring that out uh, is absolutely crucial. So I agree with her on that one, definitely. I definitely do, too. All right, the next one is, and this one kind of relates to how you just related to the one about revising your role or finding a new role, but um, it's revise attachments. It says you can grieve for your loss while cultivating new relationships and celebrating what you still have. Now, of course, that's, you know, this is talking about, you know, for families or people that have lost someone that's disappeared. Um, right, right. But, yeah, we can, we can still celebrate um, what we still have, but you know, you you always talk about leaning into grief, and and you have or loss, and and you have some rituals that you do um, to keep everything the way you can cope with it um, for all these years. So, you know, we we still have our attachments, I think, but we can work through them and and have it be a positive experience with the rest of what's going on in our lives, I think. Yeah, I mean, what I like of what Dr. Boss is saying, and again, her website's ambiguousloss.com, but what I like what she's is very practical stuff. You know, it's like, 
you know, what, what the way I would interpret that for me is we go on with life, but there, the, in my experience at, in, in the, the loss is that it's a parallel life for a while. I live in my loss and then I live in the world and, one of the, and, and to go on and to keep going no matter how hard or how debilitating that other world is through the, the gravitational pull of my loss, uh, there were parallel universes that were happening for me. And part of the healing and the, and the grief and, and the unfolding of loss is the wedding and, and the interrelationship of the two into uh, alignment and synchronization. So going on doesn't mean leaving behind. It means finding this flow of integration of, you know, the, the things that I, you know, it's not like, it's not an either-or experience. Life is not, I don't believe life is lived in an either-or. It's lived in a both-and environment for me. And so going on is very important, cultivating those new relationships and new but it doesn't negate for me what has gone before and what I carry with me. I don't know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Both, that, oh, both yeah. fans. I, I never, yeah, I never <laughs> no, know if I, I make sense about it. No, no, no. Because I don't no, see no. their faces. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here going, what? What? No, I, yeah. I understand that <laughs> the both and rather than either or. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's both and. Yes. So and she made, the and last she made one. Yeah. Oh, really? Cool. I don't know. Well, you said it. I like it. Um, and then okay. the last one is discover hope. In time, you'll be more comfortable with uncertainty and find things you can control to balance the ongoing ambiguity. And, again, this is for someone that's lost someone to uh, kidnapping or missing child or plane crash and so forth. But... You know, right. hope is one of the things that, um, you know, that that is that that is the elixir that changes everything. Hope yeah, and peace. I, my, hope and peace. My yeah, my question would be because that's in the context of, of a loss that has you know of uh, kidnapping or of uh, you know someone that that has you know, other elements that haven't found uh, a closure, as you say. But what what kind of hope? What is, what is the hope for? Is it the hope that they will return, the hope that they're safe, the hope that, I mean, I, I, I can't step into that world. I mean, it, it was, I, you know, to me, Deborah, I have gone through the deaths of, of my first wife, my my mother, my my brother, my two children, and uh, I can't think of anything more frightening to me than that what she described as an ambiguous loss of of like a kidnapping or something. That I don't know how people go through that. And if somebody's listening, you know that, that I just that is experiencing that. What I would encourage is to find others who are experiencing it because every loss is unique, but there there are common elements and universal 
aspects that we all share, but there's, there is that uniqueness of circumstances that create a perspective that it is so important. And I, I really want to applaud Dr. Voss's work to, to venture into this and to help people with this because it is a unique experience. But it's what kind of hope uh, that we cultivate that does have its roots in healing or more fragmentation, more uh, disassociation with, you know, the, the experience of, of going through daily life in that kind of a lack of closure in that sense. Does that, I, 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 I'm not going to say does that make sense anymore, but I would just say. So are you, you saying, know. well, uh, so, so what I'm going to say is, no, that does not make sense. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so are you okay. saying that, I'm <laughs> just teasing you. Um, are you yeah, saying that, that hope is not, um, that you would not attach hope in this situation, that, that you would rather that people maybe find peace and that hope is going to be something too slippery within your fingers? Well, it, for me, the word, it, it, it needs to be fleshed out in, in, in a clarity of hope and mm-hmm. how that's translated. I think, oh, my goodness, I, I'm a firm believer in hope because I, I, I've lived uh, through some deep losses that I have gone to the, the depths of hopelessness. And that is a horrible, frightening, empty, terrible place to be. And what I found is, in my experience, without hope, that I, I, life was unsustainable for me. And I had to find some kind of modicum of hope, just, to, just some, something that could keep me going. And, and so uh, hope is absolutely essential. I completely agree with Dr. Boss and, and, and this uh, perspective. But it, my caution is the clarity of hope and the sense of how is hope holding one back or releasing one into uh, something greater. Right. So, you know, so, I mean, there can be, like, I, I, this hope that this person will return could be for a lifetime, and sometimes that actually happens. You know, we've heard stories 20, 30 years later found that the child that is missing that was kidnapped is, is alive and they return, and, and that's a hope that, you know, I, I, I um, you know, that, that's wonderful to, to hear that experience, you know, and it's just if, if that resonates with some individual, if that keeps some individual moving and in the expanse, I, I would never I have a sense that the hope that, that's in this, um, this context is actually hope that peace will prevail. In other words, that oh, you're, not, you're yeah. not hoping that, um, that plane crash will, you know, it, it was a bad dream right. and everything is going to come back to the way it was. I think it's more that you'll be able to um, figure out how to control your environment, control your feelings, you know, get a little bit more control over something that you completely lost control of, which is the situation that overtook life that you were not expecting. So I think it has, I think I would, I would like to attach peace to this. You know, I, I would love yeah. people to be able to find peace. 
Yeah. Well, we, yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. That, I mean, and yeah. What is that? What does more control mean? I'm, I'm not sure what that means. I think it has to do with the fact that, um, for example, the people who have loved ones that that perished on the Malaysia Airlines flight 370, um, mm-hmm. they could not control the Malaysia um, uh, government. They could not control, you know, how fast they were searching and when they stopped oh. searching. They could control nothing. They could control nothing. So um, I think that's what it has to do with is, so external control, the, the exactly. things are out of there. Oh, I get it. Yeah, that, exactly. that makes sense. I think I think uh, Dr. Voss is, is uh, sharing some really important perspectives, and I hope that anyone listening that is experiencing not only what you just described as those kind of losses, but even the losses that we've had where there's no sense of, you know, that there's always something that that hasn't closed for us, you know. Exactly. Yeah, you know. There's another thing you you were talking when you were talking about your mother. I was thinking about on so many occasions that people, the the ones we love, end up dying when we're not in the room, or they they need some space, and that's that's happened to me on several occasions. Uh, our first son Brian died when we were not with him. Uh, his body was still warm when we reached him, but and and I lived with a lot of pain around that. And uh, the night that Matt died, I fell asleep right next to him uh, for about an hour and uh, woke up right at his last two breaths. And you know, the, and I think that that sense of of not, there's always there's a, I've heard of a lot of folks that have encountered that where the ones that need to to move on need space to do that, but it's still that that wanting it to be you know Brian dying in my arms or me being there that last hour of Matt's life or you being in the uh, emergency room with your mother happens quite a bit and there's and and it's uh that's something that I needed to process through and to find peace with so but that's that's another kind of of lack of closure for me and and all of that absolutely that's absolutely and and the way you tell those two uh, stories I'm going to say about um both of your children exactly when they passed and, and where you were and how that was um, are beautifully written in your book, Out of the Ashes, Healing in the Afterlife. And there is a link on the page where the show appears that people can go and uh, actually buy the book just by clicking right there. So they can also go to your website, which is theafterloss.com. And mm-hmm. you have a very active Facebook group. Tell us what that's called. That's called uh, Grief and Healing in the Afterloss. It's a very on active. Facebook. Um, it's just an amazing, amazing Facebook, uh, Facebook community that you've created. Well, we've got one more minute, and I just want to um, mention one thing that um, 
that a lot of people are going to deal with, that not everyone is going to have these other uh, just unspeakable things, you know, the, the missing people. But they are possibly going to have a loved one with depression, addiction, um, Alzheimer's, other kinds of dementia. And when those loved ones are there in body, but their minds have, have basically left, Dr. Boss calls that, that kind of ambiguous loss, goodbye without leaving. Goodbye without mm. leaving. And it is terrible. Um, I have had that experience of both of my in-laws, 10 years with Pete's father and one year with Pete's mother. Mm. And it is, oh, you want to talk about horrible. So I, I feel for anyone on the deepest level uh, that you can possibly imagine, I feel for anyone who has a parent, a husband or wife, cousin or friend, that is dealing with any kind of dementia or cognitive degenerative brain conditions because it's 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 unbelievable. So that's that's a downer, but you know what? It's um it's the numbers of people that this is going to affect uh as we age is outrageous. It's an epidemic. Right. And yeah, we could talk for a lot longer on on just that in and of itself. And so, but since we can't, and we're coming to an end, I just want to say that Dr. Boss does talk about that on her website, and I wanted to say, share that again because if we don't have time, that people want to delve deeper into this. It's ambiguousloss.com. And Dr. Pauline Boss, and so I think we should have yeah. had her on our show, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I thought about that earlier. It'd be interesting yeah. to have her and to get well, her perspective. We could so. do that another time, but right now we we do need to sign off to keep our uh-huh. agreement to be at about forty five minutes. And uh, right. this has been a very very wonderful time with you, Benjamin. Thank you so much for your sharing, and it's always great. Thank you, Deborah, and vice versa. I really appreciate it. And you'll notice that I promised last time that I would have outro music, and I have, I have made good on my promise, so <laughs> let's just say goodbye for now, and thank you for being with me today. Bye-bye now. Bye.